All right, let's take our Bibles today and go to the book of Luke. Luke's Gospel this morning. We begin a brand new series for the next several weeks. And as you see, it's good news of great joy. Good news of great joy. And we're going to move to different books and different accounts of some of the events surrounding the Christmas story. And as we look at this, really what I want to focus on are the messengers of Christmas and how the, how the message of the birth of Christ was delivered to the world. And it's interesting, there are a lot of people that were messengers of the Christmas story. If you think about it, the first ones we're going to look at are, we could actually have gone way back into the Old Testament. We could have gone way back to the Old Testament because the first messengers of the Christmas story were the prophets. There were prophecies long, long before the birth of Christ, hundreds and thousands of years before the birth of Christ, there were prophecies that he would come into the world. And very specific prophecies. If you are someone who is a little bit skeptical of the Bible, I would encourage you to do a study of the prophecies of Jesus' first, first birth, of first coming, his birth, that were fulfilled. The prophecies in the Old Testament that were fulfilled in the, in the birth of Christ. It's pretty incredible. So we could have gone way back, but we're not going to go quite that far back. Some of the people who were messengers of the birth of Christ were the angels. And in fact, that's the theme verse. If you look me at Luke chapter 2, and verse number 10, this is really the theme verse for the next few weeks. And the angel said unto them, fear not, for behold. Now, could you read the end with me? For behold, begin, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. You know, we spent most of the year this year focusing on the gospel. We've been in the book of Romans, and we've been focused on the good news. Well, the, really, the announcement of good news is right here in the Christmas story, so I wanted to keep that theme going. Notice a couple of things about our theme verse. It was an angel who delivered this message, or the, the angel. Uh, this is, we'll see this in a few weeks, this actual story. But he says to the shepherds, fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings. That's good news, a great announcement, important news, and it is news that brings great joy. If you study particularly the book of Luke, you'll find this theme of great joy all throughout. Did you know something? That the world is not naturally... Now, now there, are, there are moments, but in its natural state, the world is not a place of great joy in its natural condition. Now, I'm not saying that you cannot find joy in places in the world. I'm not saying that. You certainly can. But in its, in its natural condition, this world, we know the Bible teaches us, this world is under the condemnation of sin. We look out, you turn on the news, you look at things, and it's, it's in its natural condition, it's not a place of great joy. In fact, even the, the, uh, the famous scientific theorists, people like Charles Darwin, in their attempt to understand the world, they came, he came up with probably one of the most well-known statements to describe the natural order. Some of you might know where I'm going with that. It's the statement, 
survival of the fittest. From a natural perspective, a man trying to look at the world without God, all he can come up with is survival of the fittest. The strong survive, the weak suffer. That's the world in its natural condition. But every bit of happiness, every bit of joy that we do experience is a, is a token, it's a symbol, it's a sign of the eternal joy that God has in store for you and for I. And for me, and there is joy that the, the Christmas message, the announcement of Jesus, the news that Jesus has come to the world is a source of great joy. And Christians ought to be among the most joyful people that this world knows, because despite the darkness, despite the gloom, despite the suffering, despite all the injustice in the world, we have hope in Jesus Christ. And so the angel says, don't be afraid. I've got good news. And it's good news of great joy, and it is for who? You take a quick look at it with me. Look at that verse. Who is this good news here for? It's for everyone. In other words, God has not hidden this message. God has not made this unknown. In fact, that's why there are so many recorded announcements of the Christmas message. But I've got to tell you something about good news, and, and it's... Here it's, we've learned it's for everyone, but it's only good news if you hear it in time. It's only good news if you hear it in time. Don't miss the good news. Now, we don't miss the good news because God wants us to. God has not hidden it. He's broadcast it for us. But I've found in the short time that I've been alive, I've discovered that there are a lot of people who allow all of the busyness of the world, they allow all of the circumstances of their life to cause them to miss the greatest news of all. Anybody ever heard the name of the man Henry Gunther? Hey? I, didn't think that you, I didn't think that you would. Not very famous. Although he is infamous for missing an important of news. Henry Gunther was an American soldier who, in, who was drafted or enlisted in World War I. Now, if you know, the armistice for World War I was signed on the 11th hour of the 11th day, November, 11 o'clock, November 11th, 1918, for all of you history trivia people out there. That's when it was, trust me, all right? At 10 o'clock, the soldiers all had heard news, the, at least the German soldiers had heard the announcement that the treaty had already been signed. Hosti is every mic turned off except for this one? I don't know why that's doing that. Um, well, sorry, folks. At 10 o'clock, all of the soldiers had, on the German side had found out that the treaty had been signed and... At 11 o'clock, it would be formalized. Well, Henry Gunther had not heard the news. And at about 10.45, let's say it was, Henry Gunther decided he was going to go down in the history books for an act of bravery. 
And he was stationed across from a garrison of German soldiers. And he decided, with just a few minutes to go, that he was going to charge and break through the German line. And so with, as the clock started to tick, tick down, 1050, 1052, 1053, it comes up to 10.55 or so. I don't know the exact timing, but you understand. Henry Gunther takes off charging toward the German lines. Remember, the armistice has been signed. As he's running toward the German lines, the German soldiers are waving him off because they had heard the news. The German soldiers are trying to dissuade Henry Gunther from charging. And they're trying to stop him, trying to stop him. But as the history books tell us, and you can look this up, at precisely 10.59, Henry Gunther took his rifle and began firing shots toward the German soldiers, at which point they opened up with machine gun fire. And at 10.59, one minute before the armistice was signed, Henry Gunner died in battle. He had missed the news by one minute. Now, he was still celebrated a hero, but I don't know about you, there are better ways to go down in the history books than that. Better ways than that. I thought about that, and I thought, what a tragedy it is that here we are, we live in this world, it's Christmas time. Even, even the irreligious television studios and movies, everyone is screaming at us, waving at us. Did you hear the news? Did you hear the news? Jesus was born. The news of Jesus. And some people, they've heard it their whole life. But only, to, what a tragedy to live your entire life and to miss the news that Jesus came to save your soul. It's good news, but it must be received in time. And as I see that, good tidings of great joy for all people. But it's important that we don't miss the news. And it's important that as believers, we are a people who work to ensure that our friends, our neighbors, our community, and the whole world. Pastor Eric mentioned uh, our missionaries today. We're dedicated to the message that was delivered by the angels. We are committed to that message, to get the gospel to the whole world so that no one misses the news that Jesus has come. That's the theme of this. Now let's look at our text for today in Luke chapter 1. The theme today is, the message today, the first message uh, from the first messenger of Christmas is this message. Nothing is impossible. Nothing is impossible. Begin reading with me in Luke chapter 1 and in verse number 26. And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. Who are the characters that we've been, let's, let's engage a little bit this morning. Who are the characters that we've been introduced to so far? The first character we're introduced to is the messenger, and his name is 
Gabriel. Gabriel is an interesting person. Well, he's a person, I guess, but not a human. He's an angelic being. The Bible teaches that God created a, a whole group of beings called angels. They're not exactly how they appear um, on the Hallmark Channel, but um, God did create angelic beings. There is a whole supernatural realm that we usually do not see. But it is recorded at different times, men and women have been privileged with witnessing those of the angelic realm. Some of the angels have wings. Some have appeared as hu in human form. Gabriel, we are introduced to in the book of Daniel, actually, and he also appears all throughout the Christmas story. He is a messenger. The word angel, if you like to take notes, the word angel is, comes from the Greek word angelos, and it's a transliteration, right? It was a, it's angelos, we just said angel, but the literal translation is messenger, messenger. Gabriel is a messenger. He has been sent by God to deliver a message. Now, in, you look at him in the book of Daniel. He is an impressive being. He does have wings. He does fly. Very fascinating, but you could do a study on him separately. So, Gabriel is the first character. Now, who is the second character? Who's the next one? Well, the virgin is the next one we're introduced to. There's a, a virgin. And later on, her identity is revealed. Her name is Mary. But then we're also introduced to her betrothed, her beloved, her intended. And his name is, isn't he in for a surprise? Joseph is in for a serious surprise. Not to mention Mary. Now notice the setting. The setting is the sixth month, and the place is a region of Galilee named Nazareth. Now these are all famous Famous names to us now, but in their day, they were of very little consequence. Nazareth. Nazareth. How many of you have ever traveled somewhere and you told someone you were from North Adams or that we've got some North Adams people, we've got some Adams people in here, we've got some Hartwellville, Reedsboro people, we've got some Savoy folks here, some Bennington, or even some Pownall folks here, right? So, how many of you have ever told somebody where you're from? You said, I'm from North Adams. And then they said, oh yeah, I know where that is. And when they said that, you were blown away. You're like, oh, you actually know where that is. I was talking to a friend of mine, um, or a coworker of mine. He's a plumber for the company I work for. And I actually, on my day off, I accidentally ran into him in Pittsfield. He lives in Chicopee, but he was up in Pittsfield working on a job. And we were talking about running into each other. And I'm like, yeah. he's like, you live out there? I'm like, yeah, I live out there. And he's like, I, he said, where do you live? I'm like, oh, up in Clarksburg, you know, near North Adams. And he's like, yeah, there's like one way in and one way out of there, he said. I'm like, yeah, pretty much, pretty much. Now, we love it here, right? Don't you? It's a beautiful, beautiful place, but not a place of great recognition or great notoriety. Now, if you went to Galilee, you would find it's also a very beautiful place. But there wasn't a lot going on in Galilee. Now, in Galilee, there were several towns. Capernaum was a major town, and there were others. Nazareth was the least desirable of all of the towns in the region of Galilee. It was like, ugh, you're in Nazareth. I'm not going to make any comparisons. We're done with the comparisons now, right? But he said, oh, you're from, they would say, oh, you're from Nazareth. 
I'm sorry. That was the attitude. That was their perspective. And so here, in all the most unlikely of places, way backwoods, way out of the way, is this little, little lady named Mary. Now Mary, we, we also know that, but she is nobody of, great, of, of, of any great standing. She'd be just an average person like anybody else, probably very young. She's betrothed at this point, and she is betrothed to the point of, I mean, they're not just engaged. They are just a short, in a, they're legally married, but they have not yet physically consummated the marriage. That was the custom of the day. So Mary is probably pretty young because at this age, women in their, uh, in their later teen years would have already been married, already having children. So Mary could be as young as 15, 16 years old. She's very young at, at this point in her life. And she has her whole life planned. She's looking forward. She's engaged to, a, I would assume, a, a, a good, reliable husband. He's got a trade. He's a carpenter. He's, at this point in the Jewish customs, he's built a home for them. There's a place that he's preparing. And on their, on, on their official wedding day, he's going to go and take Mary and bring her to the home that he has prepared for her. And Mary's got her whole little life laid out ahead of her. Until there is a divine interruption. That God, now, theologians and church historians have referred to this account as the Annunciation, the, the grand announcement of the birth of Christ. And I think that's an appropriate name for it. However, if you're Mary at that moment, it's not, you, there's not much annunciating going on. It's a little bit more of a serious interruption in what she's thinking is going on in her life. And I've always looked at this, and one of the lessons that I've come back, there's something about the gospel message, there's something about the message of Jesus, that just like, just like in the days when it was first announced to Mary, when the gospel, when the good news of Jesus comes, oh, it's going to bring great joy into your life. But the first thing it might do is interrupt your plans for your life. Jesus might come and Jesus might say, hey, you thought your life was going to go this way, but I've got, I've got better news for you. Now, in the end, the news for Mary was greater than she could ever have imagined. But you're going to see in the moment, she's a little bit aghast. She's a little bit concerned. Let's see what takes place in verse, the verses that follow. So she's engaged. She's got her whole life planned. And now verse number 28, the angel, the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou that art highly favored. I'd be looking around. Who's he talking to, right? Hail, thou that art highly favored. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. He says, and listen, you talk about the gospel message, even though it, may, it brings a shock to so many, look how it comes with such love. The, the beginning of the gospel is that for God so loved the world. And here, Mary, before she hears the news, she is just being embraced by the love of God for her. Mary, you are highly favored. You, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And here comes the message of the messenger. 
And that is our, our next point, if you turn over your handout. Secondly, this morning, not only is there a divine interruption, but secondly, there's a miraculous message. A miraculous message. Look at how the message comes, what, what the contents of the message are. Verse 29, when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. In other words, she's like, what in the world is happening right now? What in the world is going on? In her mind, she's just like, I don't understand what's happening. We kind of get this impression like, oh, well, it's the Bible, angels, all this. She hadn't seen an angel ever before in her life. This is not like a regular occurrence. She's like, what is going on now? The angel continues in verse number 30, and he says this. The angel said unto her, fear not, Mary. Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold... Thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and shalt call his name Jesus. Jesus, he shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Now there's a lot. There is so much packed into this message that Mary receives. First of all, Mary, you're going to have a baby. Boom! Right there. That would take a miracle. You see what she says, her first reaction in verse 34, Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? She says, I've never... I've never had sexual relations ever before. How can I have? She knows enough about the facts of life at her young age that how in the world is this possible? It's going to be a miraculous birth. And by the way, this is foundational to the message of the gospel. The miracle, it's called the incarnation, that God became a man. That he came into this world, God, God humbled himself and became a man, and it was not through ordinary human means. He did not come through a human father, but he was placed in the womb of Mary by God Almighty. And that is the first miracle regarding the, the, the coming of our Lord Jesus, that it required a virgin birth. Now, there are some super progressive Christians, I use the word, I should use air quotes with the word Christians, they like to think that you can have a form of Christianity without a virgin birth. They say, well, Jesus was just, you know, they, 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 some of this is mythology or whatever, and they, they, they like to package it all together neatly and keep a form of Christianity. My friends, if Jesus was not born of a virgin, he was flesh and blood just like you and I. And we've wasted an awful lot of time worshiping him today, if that's the case. The virgin birth is absolutely... The virgin birth was prophesied in Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14. It's being fulfilled. It's a miracle. The miracle of the birth of Christ that God came to dwell with us, born of a virgin. But that's not the only miracle in this message. She, he, he identifies who this would be, that who Jesus would be. He says you are going to name him. You're going to name him Jesus, back in verse 31. Thou shalt call his name Jesus. Jesus is the Hebrew name Joshua. Joshua, or Yeshua. 
And what it literally means, it's a combination of two words. The first word that makes up the name Joshua is simply found in that letter J, and it's, it is the um, abbreviation for the name of God Almighty. It is the abbreviation for Yahweh or Jehovah. And the second part of the name Yeshua or Joshua or Jesus is salvation. And so the name Jesus or the name Joshua, the name Yeshua, it literally means Jehovah or Yahweh is my salvation. Now this is interesting because it says he shall be great, he shall be um, called the son of the highest. Now I think next week we'll see what when the angel tells Joseph about this, his name shall be called Jesus and he shall save his people from their sins. That as the Son of God, he is equal in standing with God. He is the second person of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. God the Son placed in the womb of the Virgin Mary as the Savior of the world. The Savior of the world. And that beautiful, though slightly overdone Christmas song, Mary, did you know? Beautiful song, actually. Did you know that this baby boy, that, that it says that, that the one inside, that he is your maker, did you know that this is your creator? And it's, it's poetic. And the fact is, the answer to the question is yes. Yes, she did know. She may have understood it all, but she knew that this baby had come to save her from her sins. It's an amazing picture. God Almighty wrapped in swaddling clothes. And this announcement, this miracles, there's a virgin birth, there's a coming Savior. Verse 32, he shall be great and he shall be called the Son of the Highest. The Son of the Highest. This is speaking of the deity of Christ. That he is not Son of Man, but he is Son of God. He is Son of God who would become Son of Man. But his, prime, his primary identity is that he is the God-man. And the Lord shall give unto him the throne of his father David. That speaks of the fulfillment of prophecy. You can study the prophecies to David in the Old Testament that David would have offspring that would, that would sit on the throne forever and ever. He shall reign over the house of Jacob or Israel forever. Of his kingdom there shall be no end. This, is the, this, is, this puts the virgin birth together. Mary was of the line of David. So is Joseph, by the way. So Jesus has the legal right to the throne, but he has the divine right as being the son of God. This is all packaged in the virgin birth. Of Christ. It's a tremendous miracle. And the gospel message is a message that interrupts our ordinary day-to-day -day lives, but it's also a message of miraculous importance that Jesus is not just another great teacher. Jesus is not just another prophet. Jesus is not just a philosopher or one of many options to follow, but that Jesus Christ is God and very God come to save the world. That's the miraculous message of the gospel. But how can this be? Thirdly, the supernatural experience. There's a supernatural. How is this going to happen? That's what Mary says in verse 34. She asks the obvious question. 
elephant in the room. How shall this be? I know not a man. Verse 35, and the angel answered and said unto her, the Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. What a beautiful Trinitarian verse right there. Do you see the Trinity in verse number 35? The Holy Ghost, it's the Holy Spirit, comes upon you. And whose power is overshadowing? The highest, that's God, the Father. And that holy thing, the Son of God inside of you. There's the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit performing the impossible. The Holy Spirit coming, God the Father sending the Spirit to come upon the Virgin Mary and to place the human form of the Son of God within a fragile human womb. And there in that moment at the conception of our Lord Jesus Christ, Father, Son, and Spirit present in that moment. Amazing. The Holy Spirit, the power of God. The power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore, that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. Verse 36, behold, thy cousin Elizabeth. If you've missed the story, you're like, what is she doing here? How did she get in the story here? You've got to do a little bit more background. There, there's Elizabeth is her cousin. You're like, yeah, I saw that. Got that much. And Elizabeth also is having a miraculous birth. A natural birth, no, no virgin birth there, but she was beyond childbearing age. It's a really cool story. She's the mother, by the way, of famous Bible character, bug-munching, camel-hair-wearing guy, John the Baptist. If you're new to Bible study, you're like, what are you talking about? you, you got to read it. You won't believe it. Bug-munching, camel-hair-wearing guy, the cousin of Jesus, John the Baptist. Now, that was not in my notes. Now I'm lost. <clears throat> okay, verse number 36. And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she also hath conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. Now look at verse 37. Let's read it. This is so good. Ready? Together. For with God, nothing shall be impossible. Nothing shall be impossible. You see, the work of God in Mary's life is an impossibility, ah, except not with God. And can I tell you, the work of saving men and women and boys and girls, the work of the gospel is an impossible work, but not with God. You see, it's still, it is still the will of God that the gospel go out into the whole world, that people hear the message of salvation, that the Holy Spirit then work in people's hearts and a new birth happen in their lives. It's called being born again. My friend, Christianity, being a Christian is not something that your parents can confer upon you. Being a Christian is not something that being baptized can confer upon you. You can't take your first communion and say, well, now I am a Christian. There's no priest, pope, preacher, anybody that can say to you, all right, you are now a Christian. There's no class you can take. There's no study you can complete. 
The only way that you become a Christian is personal encounter with the living God to believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And it's a miracle. To them gave he power. To as many as believed on his name, he gave them the right to be called the Son of God, which were born not of flesh, not of blood, not by the will of man, but by the Spirit of God. God makes you a Christian. You say, well, I thought I was a Christian. Have you repented of your sin and called on the name of Jesus Christ in simple faith? If you've done that, the Bible says you are a Christian. You have been born again. But maybe you've never done that. I don't pretend that because you dressed up nice today and came to church and carried a Bible or any of those things. I don't pretend that, you're, that, that I would assume that you're a Christian. Only you and God truly know. If there's never been a moment in your life where you've surrendered to God and let him save you, make that moment today. Because actually for this, for this supernatural experience, there was one more thing that was required. The Holy Spirit, the power of God, but also a yielded vessel. God needed a yielded vessel who would carry the child Jesus. You see, now he knew, right? He knew who would be, he knew Mary's heart. He knew Mary's willingness. He knew Mary's yieldedness. That's why she is highly favored, and that's why she's blessed above all women. And so he knows, and he comes to her, he knows what her response will be. And her response is found in verse number 38. And Mary said, Behold the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. Her life has been totally interrupted, but now the news she has heard is so great, she says, yes, I will receive Jesus. Pardon the, the use of the, the phrasing here, but you understand what I'm saying? Mary is saying, now God already knew that. This wasn't like a choice Mary was making. The condition of her heart was ready to receive. But that's no different than people that may sit here today. What is the condition of your heart? Are you ready to receive Jesus? Or are you still, still a little bit like, well, I don't know. Well, what will that mean for me? I don't know. What does that mean about my job? Does that mean if I'm surrendered? See, see, if you understand Jesus, you understand that when you come to him, he doesn't ask you for anything except all of you. He says, he, he says you lose your life and you'll find it. You understand Christ, he doesn't ask you to do a good thing, but he says, I'm going to change you. You just come as you are, broken, in need, sinful. You come as you are, and the gospel says, I'll change you. But there's a lot of people that say, well, I kind of like the way that I am. I kind of like the life that I had. I like my lifestyle. I like my habits. I like the choices I want to make. I like the roadmap." Well, Jesus described those people as being very far from the kingdom of God. Very far. You see, for this supernatural experience, it required a yielded and willing vessel. And that's what Mary said, behold, the handmaid of the Lord. Are you ready to give your life to Jesus? Are you, have you fully surrendered to Christ? Oh, he's got a wonderful plan. And once you do, 
Once you do, we go from this divine interruption, a miraculous message, and a supernatural experience, and then we go very simply to the joy of believing. The joy of believing. I don't know about you, but sometimes I come to church, sometimes I open my Bible, sometimes I do Christian things, and I don't feel a whole lot of joy in my life. I don't always. That's part of the reason we're doing what we do now. Because you know what? I'll just tell you my own personal experience. I, didn't, I wasn't miserable today by any means. But as we've been going through the Word of God together, as we've been singing together, my, my cup is starting to run over, to be honest with you, because we're talking about Jesus. We're talking about what He's done for us. We're talking about that it's not about me, it's about Him, it's about His will in my life, what, he's gonna, what He wants to accomplish through me. There is joy in knowing Jesus Christ. There's joy in the surrendered life. There's joy in believing. And so many people, so many people, they resist Jesus. I've had, I had close family members who lived all their lives and, would, and did, just did not want Jesus at all in their life. And you know what was missing a lot of times? Joy. Joy. Now, that doesn't mean there weren't, again, I don't mean to insult anyone. If you're not a Christian, sure, you're going to have moments of happiness and joy in your life. But until you know the Lord, until you know Christ, you don't know a joy that can be sung in the face of death. I mean, it was just a little over a year ago that we buried my, my father-in-law, who tragically died of COVID at a very young age. And it's still sad and hard. But I, we went through that, and, and we, we, during that time, we sang the praises of Jesus. We read the scriptures. And in sorrow, there's just, there was an abiding, not, not a frivolous joy. Don't, we grieve. But there's just a joy to know that there's a glad reunion day. There's a joy to know that sins are forgiven, that heaven is home. Jesus reigns eternal. There's a joy to know that, that Christians in Ukraine have, have been, the, the church in Ukraine right now, there was a thriving evangelical church in Ukraine. I mean, they were missionaries in Ukraine going into all of Europe. And they have suffered, but the reports we get from believers in the midst of warfare is that they still sing the praises of Jesus. You can go to the underground church in China, the kinds of places where, where John and Henry worship the Lord Jesus, where they can't always sing at the top of their lungs. And you find a joy among people there, the joy of the Lord, because there's a blessedness in knowing Christ. But I'm afraid in Western Christianity, we sometimes exchange the deep abiding joy of Jesus for the cheap joys that our world gives us. And we surrender the joy of the Lord and we live in the joy of a football game or the joy of a purchase. When really it's the gospel, the hope eternal that should be the source of our abundant, abiding joy. There's joy in believing. Well, I just... You know, preach most of the point and didn't read the text that goes with it, so we better do that. Verse 39, And Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste into a city 
of Judah. Now, there's a couple of reasons she's going up there. For one, the most of the society around her would have viewed her as an unwed mother. They would have, and in those days, that was particularly shameful in that culture. And so she didn't expect everybody to understand everything, but, you know, so she's got to sort through all this. So she goes up to stay with Elizabeth for a little while. And she goes up there, but that's not, I don't think that's her primary reason. Because people are going to find out sooner or later. It's going to happen. Joseph had to make a tough decision, we'll see in the book of Matthew. But what happens next is she gets up after that angel comes, and she is going to the hill country, but she goes up to those hills, and how does she do it? She goes how? Fast. Quickly. I think there's some excitement here. Mary's just like, she's got a message. And do you know what she can't wait to do? You know what she can't wait to do? She's got to tell somebody. She's got to tell somebody. And I think this is kind of cool. Who is going to believe her? Right? Like, she, she walks out the door. And she looks down there at her neighbors over there. Nope. <laughs> they'll never believe it. Nope. They'll never believe it. There's something about her older cousin, Elizabeth. Elizabeth. She'll believe Elizabeth, she, she'll know. She'll believe it. And so Mary packs up her belongings, and she just starts heading up for the hills where Elizabeth and her husband Zechariah live. And she starts running up there. I mean, you just imagine this. I don't know. I, I mean, if this is a common sight, you know, for this, this little girl to be running up into the hills. But she's just excited about what God has done in her life. And so she runs in verse number 40. She entered into the house of Zacharias and saluted Elizabeth. And it came to pass that when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary, the babe, this is the baby in Elizabeth's womb, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost and spake out with a loud voice saying, Blessed art thou among women. She's, Mary says, Elizabeth. Can you imagine? We don't know how that conversation went. She says, Elizabeth, I'm going to have a baby. And Elizabeth goes, what? Oh, wait, the angel. The angel told me. And she tells the whole story. And at that moment, at that moment, the account says that little infant John the Baptist in the womb of Elizabeth leaps for joy. That the Holy Spirit of God comes upon Elizabeth. And Elizabeth now just starts praising and worshiping God and congratulating Mary. What a beautiful sight. And she just says, I, 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 just, I just imagine laughter and joy and smiles. I, I, don't, I don't think this is like the, you know, the, uh, the, the old movies we see about the Bible stories. Mary, blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb. I, I don't think that's what's going on here. Mary ran there. Elizabeth, I, I, I just... Blessed art thou among women. Blessed is the fruit of thy womb. And then Elizabeth, like, why is, am I the one that hears about this? What is it to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For lo, as soon as the voice of thy salutation sounded in my ears, the baby, the baby leaped in my womb for joy. I felt it, Mary. I felt it. And look at verse 45. Could you read just this first short clause out loud with me? Begin. And blessed is she that believed. 
That word blessed, it literally means happy, satisfied, full of grace. Blessed is she that believed. She, she says, Mary, what happiness because of your faith. For there shall be, now look at Elizabeth's faith. There shall be a performance of those things which were told her from the Lord. She says, Mary, you believe. And Mary, guess what? I believe. You believe and I believe. And boy, it's exciting enough to have one believer. You put two believers together. You get a group of believers together. And there's potential for some serious joy to break out. So long as we remember that our joy isn't about our preferences or prejudices or what we like, or the, but our joy is about what God is doing. You put some believers together and you're bound to find, like the scripture and the song say, joy unspeakable and full of glory. There's joy in this gospel message. There's joy. Blessed. Blessed are you. Blessed am I if we believe. If we believe. This is the time of year when you'll turn on a Christmas special on television and there'll be a lot of platitudes surrounding beliefs. Right? Like belief is just this thing floating in the air like magic. You know, I still believe in Christmas. Blah, 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 blah. Right? And people say, well, it's not important what you believe so long as you believe something. Those are empty platitudes of 21st century prosperity. It means nothing. You can believe whatever you want. You can convince yourself something is true. But if you're not believing in something real, it ain't going to get you very far. The truth is this. We believe based on the revealed word of God given to us, that Jesus was prophesied of old, was born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, was condemned by Pontius Pilate, was nailed to a cross of wood, died on that cross, was buried in Joseph's tomb, and on the third day he rose from the dead. We believe on the authority of the Word of God. We believe on the authority of 2,000 years of witnesses of the resurrected Christ, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. This we believe. And we stake our lives on it and our eternities. Have you believed on the name of Christ? Or have you put your hope in yourself? your church, or your religion. Nothing else. We believe in Christ and Christ alone. As we reflect on the scriptures this morning, that's the most vital question. If you're here and you have never personally received Christ, I want to invite you to do that today. If you're ready, and you're ready because right now you feel it in your heart. You feel the Holy Spirit speaking to you. Just like the Holy Spirit came on Mary, the Holy Spirit's in this room. And he's, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit speaks to people's hearts and says, yes, the Word of God is true. If you sense that leading of the Spirit in your life right now and you say, you know what? 
you need to make sure you're a Christian. You need to believe in Jesus. I want to invite you to do it right now. Right now, would you pray this with me? With heads bowed and eyes closed, I'll ask everyone in this room to have their heads bowed and their eyes closed. Would you pray something like this? And we'll just have the musicians come in a few minutes. Let's just be quiet for this moment right now. Right now, where you are in this room, if you would say to God, you say, I want to be sure that I'm a Christian. I want to be sure that if I died, I would go to heaven. I want to believe in Christ. Just tell that to God. That's all you have to do. Pray something like this. Say, dear Lord, I do know that I am a sinner. I know that I cannot save myself. But Jesus, I believe that you died for me. Would you pray that right now? Say, Jesus, I believe that you died for me. And I believe that you rose from the dead. Would you please save me? Would you please save me? I put all my faith and all of my trust in you, Jesus, and you alone. If you prayed that with heads bowed and eyes closed, if you prayed that this morning, you made sure this morning, I'd like to pray for you. Would you just slip your hand up and put it down super quick? No one looking, just me. I won't call you out or embarrass you. Say, Ethan, I made sure today. I put my faith in Christ today. I made sure. Just hand up, hand down real quick. I can pray for you. If you're watching online, send us a message. Let us know that you made the decision to receive Christ. Christian, this is our opportunity now. You have, you, I'm assuming you're saying you have received the Lord Jesus. Where is the source of your joy? Do you have a Mary and Elizabeth kind of celebration? Or have you just lost it? You can't lose your salvation, but you can lose the joy of your salvation. Maybe there's some sin in your life. Maybe you picked up an old habit again, or maybe you turned back to some old lifestyle, and you're like, I've just been too focused on, I've just been too focused on the world and not on my Savior. Well, I want to just ask you right now, just to take some time, spend it with the Lord, ask Him to speak to your heart, to work in your life right now. Just, we'll have some quiet prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for the glorious message of Jesus coming and paying the penalty for our sin. Lord, we thank you that it is through belief in Jesus that we can have forgiveness of our sins. God, I pray now that if someone in here has not made the decision to put their faith in you, that today would be the day that they would put their faith in you, that they would leave here knowing for sure that they would be going to heaven. God, for those of us in here that do know you, God, we pray that if you've been convicting us of anything that today we'd get it right, that, Lord, we would confess our sins. Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness and for your love for us. In Jesus' name, amen. We are so glad that you've taken the time to join us today. If you've been blessed by the message, or if you have placed your faith in Jesus today, we want to hear from you. Maybe you still have questions about what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus. Please let us know, and we would love to answer those questions from the Bible. We would also be happy to provide you with the Bible and other free Christian resources to help you grow in your faith. You can email us at info at mountgraylockbaptist.com or send us a message on Facebook. You can also call us at 413-662-2107. We would love to hear from you, and our desire is to be a blessing to you in any way that we can. God bless.